You are listening to a Geek Fallout production in association with Atomic Geeks Broadcasting Network. You're listening to Techno the Geek Fallout technology news and discussion podcast where we talk about everything from mobile devices and PCs to video games and everything in between. Hi, and welcome to Technobabble, the Geek Fallout, a part of the Geek Fallout Network, and this is the show that talks about upcoming technologies, the good, the bad, and the silly. I am your host, Mike King, and joining me, as always, is... Me, your friendly neighborhood Richard Reader. (laughs) What's going on, buddy? How you doing? I had a sore throat that put us out of commission for about a week, because that's how long I was sick, not feeling too good. My uh, my money maker was out of commission. My golden dulcet tones could not be shared. It uh, put me behind on the second episode of my own podcast, Playing With Power, a retrospective podcast about uh, a retrospective review of Nintendo Power magazines from the first issue to the latest we can get. And uh, and it was possible because of this show, because my friend listened to Technobabble and thought, wow, Mike is a whole lot, he's, he's, he's great at having conversations with people besides me. Maybe I should do this podcast with him then. And, uh, he decided to do a podcast with me, and we were having a blast doing it. So, you know, that's a uh, one benefit from this show, which I'm grateful for. Thank, thank you. Anytime, anytime. That's what we're here for. We make stars. That's what we do here. You fall out. <laughs> we make internet stars. <laughs> <laughs> now, All right. I was feeling pretty awful. <clears throat> so what I needed was some good news to cheer me up. And where do you think I went? To get this good news. The Too Late News Network. Close. (laughs) It wasn't the Bad News Network, and it wasn't the Too Late News Network. It was the Good News Network. And I found some pretty amazing things. Now, in the upcoming fields of technology, Stanford engineers have created an artificial skin which allows prosthetics to feel. Wow. Now, yep, we've done, uh, we've covered before how, uh, a kid is working on a, uh, a watch to, uh, help veterans, like those with mental scars, but those with more physically apparent debilitations, such as a missing limb, they haven't been forgotten either. Cause there is a plastic skin which can detect how hard it is being pressed and it generates an electric signal to deliver this sensory input directly to a living brain cell. Hmm. And the man behind this is Jinan Bao, a professor of chemical engineering at Stanford. Now, he spent a decade trying to develop a material that can mimic the skin's ability to flex and heal, while also serving as a sensor array that sends touch, temperature, and pain signals to the brain. Ultimately, she wants to create a flexible electronic fabric embedded with sensors that could replicate some of skin's sensory functions. Now, you can find this on the Good News Network, but the basics of this is how it works. It's a two-ply plastic construct. 
Now, the top layer creates a sensing mechanism that can detect pressure over the same range as human skin from a light finger tap to a firm handshake. And the bottom layer acts like the circuit to transport the electrical signals and translate them into biochemical stimuli for nerve endings. Because, you know, like, how are you going to how, how are you going to get the stump to feel all this input? Well, that's a, uh, a big problem. But to uh, start with the pressure sensing, they scattered billion, they, um, well, first they needed something that can bounce back from touch. So they create, so they indented a waffle pattern into thin plastic, which gives it springiness. Now, now that it can move, or, uh, yeah, now that it can withstand pressure and recover, they have scattered carbon nanotubes through this waffle plastic. So putting pressure on the plastic squeezes the nanotubes closer together and allows them to conduct electricity. Hmm. This allows it to mimic human nerve endings, which transmit pressure information to the brain in short bursts of electricity. But the question is, how do you get this through the stump and not make it feel like, oh, I'm just poking this stump? I don't know if there's a politically correct phrase for it, but <laughs> we're just going to call it what it is. It's a stump. It's not meant to disparage people. You know, you've, you've got a place where your limb doesn't exist anymore. So Yeah. Now... For the electronic signal to be recognized by a neuron, here's the kicker. A technique was developed by Carl Dyseroth, a Stanford professor of bioengineering, and this combines genetics and optics into something called optogenetics. They bioengineered cells to make them sensitive to specific frequencies of light, and then use light pulses to switch cells on and off from the electronic pressures from the electronic pressure signals in the artificial skin. Wow. Now, we all know that skin doesn't just feel that you're being touched. You can feel, like, uh, softness, temperature, uh, wind. So it hasn't been perfected yet, but if they, can, if they can replicate one sensation, they can work on the other five because they've uh, categorized six types of biological sensing mechanisms in the human hand. And this is just touch. But mm -hmm. this two-ply approach means that the team will be able to add new sensations as it develops new mechanisms for them. So, after wow. many years in this work, there's now a clear path to artificial functioning skin. That's amazing to, uh, to think that we're actually <clears throat> so close to being able to give people prosthetics that they can actually feel and, and interact with the world, not just in the sense of being able to, you know, cause like we've seen uh, mechanical prosthetics for years and robotic ones where the, you know, people are finally able to kind of control it more than just the plastic ones that we used to have that would just, it was just there to be a limb to not do anything, you know, and we've seen the robotics change it. And now this next step is kind of the final piece towards almost kind of going cybernetic, if you think about it, because if you take, um, you know, this, this arm, this prosthetic arm and you make it, you know, touch and feel, you're able to feel hot and cold and the wind blowing and, you know, a scratch or pressure and stuff like that. You're basically giving somebody a, a cyborg arm. It's like the million dollar man. We have the technology. We can rebuild him. And I, you know, yeah, you can grab a cup of uh, hot, tea and 
without burning your face off, you can now you'd be able to tell with this arm, oh, by the way, this is really hot. I should give it a moment. Or, you know, yeah. this, I could put this back in the microwave. It's kind of chilled off a bit. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as for, you know, people who don't have, you know, a, you know, limb or both or whatever, you know, that's a huge deal to be able to do that. Obviously, you know, it brings, cause not being able to do those sort of things, not being able to know without, you know, even trying, like say you had a robotic limb and you weren't able to do that. You'd have to, you know, put it up to your skin somewhere else to be able to feel it and thus risking that you're going to burn yourself or burn your tongue if you have to try it first or something, you know? So that brings a whole new safety factor to your everyday life. Just getting hot coffee, you know what I mean? So something like this is, uh, is really amazing that we're finally at this stage or, or just on the cusp of, of being at this stage of uh, being able to help people with uh, missing limbs. And they're not the only ones because Australia, fittingly the land down under, is also working on down under prosthetics. <laughs> oh my no, God, you had to that, go there. Not you that, had to go there. not that. It's even lower. We're talking about feet. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, Okay, now what they're doing is uh, the universe, uh, Professor Hubert Egger from the University of Linz has unveiled research which enables patients to feel the bottom of artificial feet. Oh, wow. Now, they surgically rewired the nerves at the end of their residual limb. I guess that's the politically correct stump I was talking about. So now they're better able to receive signals. Now, these sensors measure pressure, measure pressure, or measure smitch. Okay. <laughs> They're placed. No, we're not keeping that in. <laughs> we're keeping it real at Technobabble. We're going raw. Oh. Okay. Sensors that measure pressure are placed on the bottom of the prosthetic. Now, these essentially relay pressure points, so it's less rudimentary, but it, it's like it's just using basic touch. Because, like I said, they can only seem to uh, get one. But still, when it comes to your feet, touch is the most important because. These uh, these use stimulators in the shaft of the prosthetic, which touch the end of the stump, sending a nerve to the brain, and must and miraculously these prosthetic toes have touch. Now, the a man named Wolfgang Ranger, which is a badass name. I mean, just think about it. For short, your name is Wolf Ranger. I mean, that's like that's a freaking badass name right there. Yeah, that's some, like fantasy-ass shit that's like uh, Lord of the Rings or something, Dragonlance styles. You expect him to travel by wolf everywhere he goes. Yep. So he's been testing out this technology on on his own right leg that he lost in 2007. And what he has to say is, it feels like I have a foot again. It's like a second lease on life. Now, here's where he tells you the benefits of everyday use. I no longer slip on ice, and I can tell whether I walk on gravel, concrete, grass, or sand. I can even feel small stones. Now, scientists say this is the first time a leg amputee has been fitted with a sensory-enhanced prosthesis. So, 2015 is the genesis of tactile prosthetics. So, it's it's a great way to re to restore people who have lost something that previously they would just have to live without. Yeah, really. That's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, so I felt pretty darn good about rating that. So what have you discovered in well, the last week? <laughs> I kind of feel uh, 
my my stories don't really seem very relevant now. <laughs> all of a sudden, <laughs> kind of feel like throwing them all out. We'll just talk about your stuff. Jeez, let's just talk about spiritually uplifting garbage. We can just yeah. call this like happy babble. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, be, be done with it. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, replacing things, a YouTube user called Jerry Rig Everything last week released a video. Um, Basically breaking the new Nexus phone. Now, do you remember, um, uh, what, what did they call it? Bendgate? Whatever that was, whatever they called it, the, when the newest iPhone came out and they realized how bendable it was? Uh, I heard about it once and then decided, what else is in the news? So, yeah. I didn't really research it. Is there a bad side to a bendy phone? Well, yeah, you could break it if it's if the screen. It, so if the parts aren't as bendable as the frame, then there could be a big problem in the sense that uh, if your frame lets your phone bend, but your screen doesn't want to bend, oh, then it can you slip get louder. You well, you get yourself a cracked screen from sitting on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So the skinner, skinnier the phone, the, the thinner the phone the more bendable it is, depending on what materials you use. And I apparently... Re- I didn't read the rest of that. I thought the whole phone bent. And I'm like, oh, wow, rubber phone. That should be impact resistant. Well, they, they, the whole phone kind of does bend. Like, if you were to hold the phone, you know, with your thumbs on the screen and your fingers on the back and to bend downwards, the whole phone bends. But <laughs> not necessarily on purpose. <laughs> it's not a good um, thing. Yeah, exactly. So basically this this uh YouTube user um took the Nexus 6P, which is a $499 phone, and took a razor blade and a flame to the screen to stress test it. Stress testing electronics is um becoming more of a big thing online on YouTube and stuff like that so that people can really see how much uh, impact their devices can take, which is a good idea before spending $500 on something. You want to see how well it's going to take if you, you know, if you drop it down a flight of stairs or I, I out the, a three floor window or I can see whatever. the point of this, but I think the real stress testing is taking it to a club and dropping it in the toilet. That's yes, that's that, true. It, it or be, on the dance floor. It might be harder to film though. Step on it. Yeah. But anyway, so he took a razor and a flame to the display to uh, weaken it and then continued to snap the phone um, basically in half. Uh, now, a lot of people criticized him for weakening the screen first and saying that the stress test wasn't relevant because what are the what are the possibilities that you're going to, you know, have your phone right up against a flame and then cut it with a razor blade before sitting on it and breaking it? Obviously, so, you haven't seen Friday the 13th. Yeah, well, or, or Freddy Krueger. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so he released a second part just uh, yesterday or two days ago, I believe, where he basically bought a second phone, um, brand new in the box, opens the box, does an entire kind of run through of the phone really quickly, and then um, snaps the phone without doing anything to it. Puts it in his hands and just snaps it completely in half. Wow. And this um, kind of, it seems almost like a sacrifice that doesn't need to be made. Like, why do phones need to be as thin as they are? You know what I mean? Are we really going to sacrifice our phone's uh, resilience and stability to have a thinner phone and a sexier phone? If they're getting bigger as far as the screen, 
that means that there's a, a bigger area to be able to bend and thus, you know, work as a access to the, you know, it's structurally thickness of it. Exactly. Right. If it's wider than it is thick, then eventually you're going to run into some problems. You know what I mean? And I just think that this is a sacrifice that shouldn't be made. And if we're already getting to this, you know, now, like how bad is it going to get before they start actually making stronger phones or it, it just seems really stupid. And especially because it's a $500 phone. I think it's a conspiracy just to make you buy one of those otter cases so that your phone is suddenly like impact and drop resistant. It's like for an extra $40, you can make your phone what it should have been in the first place. That's true, but to to a certain extent too, even those OtterBox cases, they they don't withstand everything. My wife um herself has broken uh at least one phone, if not two, in an OtterBox case. Wow. She dropped one down a uh, flight of stairs. Uh, now, keep in mind, this is the Commuter Series for her Galaxy S3 Commuter Series OtterBox, which is their um, two-stage um, case, not their three-stage. I had a three-stage, and mine actually worked quite well for my Note 2 when I had it. But, uh, yeah, she's broken two phones with it in there. So, well, granted, one of them she ran over the the you know case and the phone with our car. You know, you should follow but, your wife with the camera because it sounds like she's a better stress tester than this other guy. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, we make stars <laughs> coming up next week. <laughs> uh, I, I just think that it's pretty stupid though, that uh, we're sacrificing, you know, basically our money and the possibility that it's going to break. I don't know about you. Like I have, recently started breaking more and more phones over the past few years like ever since basically the iphone came out <laughs> you know ever since phones became what they are now my my been breaking them as long as they've been making them well yeah but the it's it's the frequency has been has been upped the frequency is 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 just more often nowadays uh than it was even when phones you know, the iPhone 3 or, uh, or 2G or 3GS, 3G, when they came out, because those were thick phones and they were smaller. So there wasn't as much to bend necessarily and there were more parts and they were bigger. It had more weight to it, more heft, you know, whereas now parts are getting so small and they're getting so thin. You, you'd think that they would be smart enough to just make the phone thicker, the the, the frame of the phone. <coughs> You know, double it up. Put some adamantium in there or something. Come on, Apple. <laughs> Fuck. Come on, it worked for Wolverine. Come on. Exactly. Come on. What the hell? <laughs> okay, now moving on to uh, better technology. Uh, have you traveled to, uh, like, other countries or continents like India or uh, Denmark or no. places like that? No. Nope. Yeah, pretty not, much. Unfortunately. St- stayed in Canada? Yeah. Uh, well, same, uh, same here. But in other parts of the world, uh, their air is not as fresh as ours. Now, now some people have figured out ways to take that smog and put it to good use. And starting off, a Dutch artist is turning smog into jewelry using the world's largest portable air purifier. Now, uh, remember I told you before in a previous episode about this guy who's coming up with this uh, this array machine 
it's like a machine that's an array of parts that's uh, meant to tackle the garbage continent or yes, uh, other sort of. Well, it's being tested in other places that have uh, garbage in the currents just to see if it can handle, you know, steady amounts of garbage. And uh, so mm-hmm. far, it's proving good. Now, this guy is using a similar equivalent for the air. And a Dutchman named Dan Roosgaard first got the idea for the device while visiting Beijing. Inspiration struck when he realized pollution is largely CO2, tiny pieces of carbon. And when you put carbon under pressure, it turns into diamonds. So turning smog into diamonds would require too much energy. But the guy who created solar, but this same guy who created solar bike paths in the Netherlands and glow-in-the-dark roads had another <laughs> I idea. I remember those. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, and a freaking solar bike path. So lit at day, uh, like charging by day, lit at night. Yeah. So a completely electricity independent bike path and painted roads that glow in the dark. So, you know, who needs streetlights? The, yeah. The, the road, the, the street is the light. Exactly. So what this guy does, what this guy did was he collected $127,000 through Kickstarter. Cause you know, I love me Kickstarter. <laughs> like, why would you want to just, uh, you know, read about good news in the world when by, Kickstarter and the Good News Network working together. You can be the good news by making these things happen. So he has offered rings and cufflinks as rewards for donations. And he turned the machine on for the first time in Rotterdam on September 4th. As onlookers breathed in the fresh air wafting into the town square, the smog-free tower was cranking out the carbon that would be compressed into tiny cubes. Each of these cubes, less than one half inch squared, is the equivalent of 1,000 cubic meters, I guess that would be one cubic kilometer, of air cleansed of smog by the white machine. The little black bundles, framed by stainless steel, were promised to anyone who donated 50 pounds or more. Rings and cufflinks go to anyone who donated $250 or more. And there's a video you can see of this portable tower that just sucks in smog, puts out clean air, and, hey, neat little jewelry. That so, is so cool. So what it's doing, essentially, like it is taking the air, which, you know, as we breathe out uh, carbon and as, you know, the cars come out with carbon monoxide and we breathe out carbon dioxide and all of this, emissions. it's all carbon and factory emissions and everything. So they take the carbon that's in the air take it out of it, put it into a pressurized area and then squeeze it down and it comes out as actually something that you can touch yep, and, and, and have. And there's a, there's a second part to this. Now, if you remember, I mentioned uh, India and that was for a reason because here's a unrelated but strikingly similar thing. A guy has taken the uh, the soot. A guy has created a device that sucks soot out of the air and repurposes it as printer toner. Because you know ca- carbon is just like black stuff, and uh, you know pencils—they're basically carbon. And uh, what he does is he adds alcohol and oil to this soot to give it. Uh, 
uh, a more permanent effect or a more mm-hmm. permanent property, and it creates printer ink. And he wow. said, "There's he said there's so much soot around us. What if it could be repurposed?" And he says that he believes that it makes good makes good business sense for existing ink providers, since companies like HP and Canon make seventy percent of their profit by selling these cartridges at four hundred percent margins, which is why you pay sixty dollars for a friggin' printer printer ink cartridge, which is just basically bullshit. Yeah. So if you have one of these devices, and uh, like there's a website for it. It's fluid.media.mit.edu, and it's called the Kala Printer, and it prints using pollution-based ink. Wow. And it says he's won the Innovator of the Year Award for previous work designing footwear to provide the visually impaired mobility by connecting insoles to your smartphone that will guide you hands-free. So this guy is just an innovation machine, and... Jesus, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah. So So they can take... They they take the soot and make a printer toner out of it, but is the printer toner only um, compatible with that printer that you mentioned, or can they put it in any cartridge, and I could put it in my HP printer or my Canon printer or whatever, he, my Xerox machine? I think, well, the ink, <laughs> the, ink isn't the, pro- the ink isn't the problem so much as the cartridges. You know how they got those little circuits on them? Uh, there's probably some proprietary technology in there, so even if you could fit the plastic frame in there, well, because I mean, what I'm like, because we can, you can take an empty cartridge now to like a, a local kiosk at a mall and get it refilled. You don't even have to buy a new cartridge anymore with some of these places, right? They refill your old ones. So would, I'm, I'm just saying like if this uh, pollution ink um, <laughs> is able to be pumped into any cartridge, then this person really has an innovation on their hands. Whereas if this printer ink is only going to be available to be printed or uh, to be filled up in an ink cartridge for the pollution printer that uses pollution ink, then it's not going to really go anywhere because it's just going to be too expensive. There'll be one printer. That's the only one that can use it. Whereas if he can, or if he licenses out the, uh, the technology or whatever to, uh, HP and all the other printer manufacturers, then that could be useful. But if it's just him and his printer in his company or something, then it's not going to do anything. I'm looking at a picture of the device, and it looks like it's just a collector with a uh, with a syringe that the syringe as a vial that seems to collect all the remnants. So, and then it attaches to a needle. Hmm. So, uh, from what I gather, this just collects the soot. And then you can uh, add the alcohol and oil yourself to make it, and then you can inject it into the cartridge if you so desire. It's not hooked up to a printer. It just okay. it just goes into a syringe, and you can put it in whatever cartridge you want. Well, because, yeah, if you could put it in any cartridge, then that makes a whole lot of sense. It's just a matter of where do you go to either get the device, how much does the device cost, or, you know, where is the local store that collects soot and sells it to you or whatever you know what i mean like where can i go and buy that basically like this new ink that's what it comes down to because if they can 
you know, get this to the people out there, even if they just sold the vials in store with a little syringe in a store, like at Staples, you know what I mean? If they could get this into a Staples or a Walmart as a prepackaged product, then you could go home and do it yourself. And that would, you know, really that like, that's awesome. Taking pollution and making something useful out of it. Well, I checked out that's absolutely uh, incredible. I checked out the website and, uh, it's not, very user-friendly, but I was able to find a link, and uh, it looks like you don't really order it. He just provides all the parts for you to make your own. So this is complete independence, really. So he doesn't care about the money. He just cares about, like, hey, if you live in a shitty, smoggy neighborhood, well, if you open your windows for some fresh air, now you will actually be getting some fresh air, or at least less toxic air. That's awesome. Nice. Well, speaking of uh, printers, um, there is a new 3D printed car that has just been shown off at uh, SEMA 2015, which is a worldwide automaker show. Um, And it's by a company called Local Motors from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and they call it the LM3D, Local Motors 3D. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, the like uh 3D printing cars isn't necessarily a new idea but what these people want to do is they want to be the first to actually 3D print out custom cars to customers fully working customized exactly to their spe- uh, specifics um and basically like i think this is amazing because i mean if you can 3D print out cars then you don't need shipping Essentially, you're, that that cuts out. Yes, it, it's probably going to cost a lot of truck drivers their jobs because they won't be driving other cars around the country anymore to all these different dealerships. But they can, they can drive other things. Yeah, they, they can drive they, they the three D like printed materials. Yeah, they right. Can because materials. they can become part time uh, postal workers and like <laughs> you know just uh, bring out your uh, you know just sign up as a freelancer for UPS and what do you got? I got a big rig. Well, all right, exactly. here's a route, and there you go. But basically, so you've now you you've cut out all of this uh, all of this smog and fuel and and wasted time and energy and money from from shipping these cars, and now what you're doing is you're putting out basically creating a dealership based around a data model that you have a, a file, right? And then the customer goes in, looks at your computer, says, "I don't like that color. I don't like these lights. I want this light. I, I want to I want a fort." I want a dome in the back seat and a horn that plays the cucaracha. Like whatever it is, and then they can just print it up, right? So that takes it a makes the cars much more customizable, possibly or probably, um, and also just makes it a much more personal thing for for you. And it's, I think it's amazing. And basically, what they're saying is also because you're cutting out all the smog and everything, you're that. It, the process is going to be greener of getting a car. On top of that, uh, the car and materials that are being 3D printed with are fully recyclable. So this car will be fully recyclable, which is really quite amazing when you think about it. And it's going to use, um, or at least the current prototype concept version, uh, is using the all-electric drive uh, or engine drive from the BMW i3 which is the BMW electric car. They're aiming for a $53,000 price point, which does not take into account the fact that in most states and even uh, some provinces in Canada, you can get 
upwards of $10,000 tax credits uh, when you buy an electric car. So this car could be as cheap as $43,000. They're also saying that this is going to be comparable to a BMW 3 Series, so 325i or 328, 323, whatever, uh, as far as comfortability, luxury, um, different features, you know, GPS, iDrive, whatever. They're saying that this car is going to be comparable to a BMW. Uh, so I say that this is a great thing. And, you know, if they can start 3D printing, if I can go down to a Hyundai dealership and get my new Hyundai 3D printed for me instead of having somebody ship it in on a truck and a, across the ocean on a on a ship and everything. That's amazing. I said ship. <laughs> I said trucked in and, and shipped over the ocean. <laughs> the trucks of the ocean. Yeah, but uh, I, I just think that uh, we seem to be talking about basically 3D printing or in some form or fashion pretty much every episode, even though we're only on, what, episode three now? Episode four? <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing stuff. It's like the closest thing we're going to get to replicators. Yeah, well, and... for now. Yeah, replicators. Oh, how I miss you, Stargate. Star Trek. What? Oh, don't, okay. I thought okay. Well, they have. Re- Star- I never watched Stargate, so I don't know. They if had replicators on Stargate. They were just. Uh, were they called replicators, or was that? Yes, a- but it was it was a quote unquote alien race. It was a man made uh, nanobot sort of thing that replicated themselves and could make anything out of anything, basically. So they were just like little spider thingies, eventually that would just crawl everywhere and eat <laughs> ships and bases, and then eventually they made replicator people and yeah you'd have to look it up it sounds, uh, it sounds like the uh, the mantrid arms from lex well da- downs knows what i'm talking about <laughs> atomic geek downs you know what i'm talking about there brother um <laughs> anyway uh so it just it just seems like 3d printing is kind of really the future of pretty much everything right like you'll be able to print yourself out pretty much anything sooner than later yeah. if i can print out a car how come i can't you know like What's stopping them from letting me print out my new uh, Intel inside computer? Oh, yeah. Well, I saw <laughs> uh, uh, a couple of months ago when I was looking at the Good News Network, they were showing how this guy brought some 3D printers to Africa, and he was just printing out prosthetic arms and limbs for uh, landmine kits. Yep. I, I read about that. Yeah, same. So That's... it's like, yeah, bringing creation to uh, making it so portable that you can just, like, again, you don't have to ship anything. You can just email the schematic and, yep. boom, build that, sh- build that shiz you, yourself. As long as you have the, the supplies to be able to 3D print, like the materials, the 3D printing base materials. And, and you know, you say something like that about Africa, and 3D printers could help in so many places all around the world. You could be 3D printing out anything and everything from survival gear to um, medical aids building to aesthetics, building tools, uh, eating tools, plates, and, and anything, sanitary things anywhere around the world in all these third world countries. Like, we shouldn't be dropping off Pop-Tarts and peanut butter to these countries. We should be dropping, like, airlifting friggin' 3D printers to them. Yeah. That's much more useful. They'd be able to, to 3D print their own farming tools and, and be able to farm better or or anything, you know? Give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Give a man a 3D printer and he'll make his own fishing rod. Exactly. There you go. Perfect. We we coined that here on Geek Follow Techno Battle. Thank you, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We make stars and we are stars. 
Uh, All right, what do you got next? Well, it's not so much technology-related, but I feel that it's pretty awesome. Someone found a way to use a protein in malaria, and this was accidental. They found it to be a cancer-killing weapon. So, yeah, malaria, speaking of Africa, has now gotten a cancer-fighting aspect now, scientists for decades have been searching for similarities between a placenta and a tumor because they both grow aggressively, except one, you know, knows when to stop, and the other one just keeps growing until it kills the host. And now they stumbled upon a, uh, a similarity and inadvertently a possible powerful treatment for multiple kinds of cancer. Now, they were looking for something completely different, a vaccine that protects, that protects pregnant mothers and their children from malaria. And in their quest, they found a protein in malaria that effectively destroyed 90% of a wide range of cancers from leukemia to brain tumors. Now, they noticed that the carbohydrate that the malaria cell attaches itself to in the placenta is identical to the one found in cancer cells. So they took the protein in malaria, added a toxin to it, turning it loose on some cancer. The modified malaria latched onto the cancer cells in the test, released the toxin, and destroying almost all cancer cells in their tracks. So, scientists use only the protein created in a laboratory instead of the actual malaria cell, so there's no risk of the patient developing malaria. Now, it says, uh, one of the scientists says, it appears that the malaria protein attaches itself to the tumor without any significant attachment to other tissue. And this was from Thomas Mandel Clausen, a PhD student at the University of Copenhagen. And the mice that were given doses of protein and toxin showed higher survival rates than untreated mice. They've seen th they have seen that three doses can arrest growth in the tumor and even make it shrink. So, using awful, terrible malaria to fight awful, terrible cancer, that's pretty friggin' dope in my eyes. What about you? Yeah, I think that's pretty amazing. The only problem I see is if you're um, if you're infecting somebody with malaria to cure them with cancer, what are you going to put in them to cure the cancer <laughs> well, or to cure the malaria? It kind of seems like I once knew a lady who swallowed a fly. She swallowed a flea. You know what I mean? Like it's that she swallows, you know, the the frog a, to get the fly and the cat protein. to get the frog and the dog to get the. It's you know? a protein in the malaria, not not like straight malaria itself. Oh well, then yeah, that's that's like that's I said. They found better. they found a way to shave all the bad out of it. So it's like we're not going to give you malaria. We're just going to give you the absolute best parts of malaria. Cancer fighting <laughs> parts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the like there's best parts. I guess, eh? Well, you can find a, a, a silver lining in anything. I guess that's the Good News Network. Apparently, yeah. like they'll use cancer to fight cancer. They'll have, like, uh, viruses that uh, fight AIDS. Like, did you hear about, uh, I read, I think it was on uh, Wikipedia or someplace, that uh, they actually did cure one guy of AIDS. Just one guy? Oh, everybody else must have been pissed off. <laughs> well, I think you got to, like, give it a wait-and-see attitude to see if it'll come back, because you don't want to give everybody false hope. But uh, as of five years, he is still HIV-free. Wow. And, uh, well, you know how AIDS works by destroying the immune system. Yes. Uh, people rarely die of AIDS itself. They always die of, like, bronchial pneumonia brought on by complications 
caused mm-hmm. by AIDS. So what these people did, uh, this is just me working off memory. I'm not reading anything right now, but you can uh, look it up and put it in the comments section if we have that. Do we have a comment section? Technically. Well, that sounds like it's very hard to find, so I remain free of being corrected by people, so I feel emboldened. <laughs> so now you have no way to tell me I'm wrong. Yay. <laughs> Unless you rate or review us on iTunes, which I urge you to do. Unless you got a bone to pick with me, then keep in mind that my opinions are my own and do not reflect that of Geek Fallout or Richard Reader or our various Chris's. <laughs> So what they did with this guy is they gave him a bone marrow transplant because bone marrow is what produces the immune system. Like the immune cells are generated by marrow. Hmm. So by completely giving him different bone marrow, it basically gave him a new immune system after the HIV burned out the old one. Wow. And somehow, like I guess the virus... Like, when it did its job, there was no more uh, immune system to feed on, so I guess it starved itself out, creating, like, a desolate wasteland free of uh, immunoprotection. So Hmm. by giving him a bone marrow transplant, basically gave him a new, fresh, just like satellite, just like colonists on, like, Mars. Like, it was a dead planet, but now they'll be putting life on it, and so he is essentially HIV-free. Wow. That's awesome. Yep, so all you have to do is just let AIDS almost kill you, and then get an expensive, painful procedure, and you'll be fine. (laughs) That's it? Yep. Sounds easy. It's a piece of cake. It's just like South Park. We found the cure for AIDS. All you need is $50,000. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Then, you know, the guy's going through Africa saying that, and they're all just looking at him like, Oh, South Park. <laughs> Good Lord. I uh, haven't watched that show in a few years now. You should. I've, uh, I haven't seen the uh, new season, but catching up on, uh, like, they find a way to find both sides of a debate and just show how everyone's a wrong asshole in every way, and it's just friggin' hilarious. Like, it, it gets better with age, unlike The Simpsons. Uh, it just got too too much for me, you know. Like it just it was too much of the same thing over and over. You know, you watch fifteen, sixteen seasons of something. Eventually, it's going to wear a little thin on you, you know. Uh, this one changed, like uh, like when they did the uh, Uber episode. They were okay. Uh, that I got to that I got to see. Yeah, you got to again, again. Like I said, they've managed to stay fresh and amazing. Uh, I think it's called like handicap, handicap. And basically, Timmy comes up with this amazing plan to hitch a wagon to his wheelchair and carry and cart people from one place to another. And all the local cabbies are pissed off with him because he's friendly, courteous, charges people a fair rate, and everyone's upset. And they have these uh, these two. Uh, did you see the Cripple Summer episode? No, I stopped uh, in season. 14 or 15 or 16, no. so probably not. Okay, you need to see Cripple Summer because it introduces. Yeah, it introduces these two characters, which are absolute, uh, like, uh, special needs ripoffs of the gang, of the, uh, of the gangsters, like, uh, Muggsy and Boss from the Looney Tunes. Oh, God. Uh, remember, uh, what Bugs would fight that, uh, those mobsters, like the short guy and the big doofus? Yep. Like, ah, uh, Jay Boss, uh, what are we gonna do? Yeah. And, uh, 
basically. So that was had, actually a really good impression. I'm impressed. Yeah. Yeah. So they had the special needs kids like, hey, uh, hey, Jen, what are we going to do about Timmy? Quiet, you mug. <laughs> and and they keep trying to kill Timmy in like these bizarre Mary, Med- Mary Melody Looney Tunes ways. And they make their reappearance, their return, in Handicap. So you need to watch one because it establishes the characters. But it is just absolute wacky, bizarre, offensive, gut-busting fun. And when they make their return in Handicap, uh, they try to bring down Timmy's cab business. <laughs> and it's like, ah, uh, Jay, boss, maybe we should provide friendly, courteous people who understand the area and treat people with respect. Shut up, you mug. Don't you get what we're trying to do? <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, so get back on South Park. It's, it's still it, as controversial as ever, obviously. It, it stays fresh, innovative, bold, and mentally amazing. <laughs> this, All right. The show's, well, speak- been, the show's been brought to you by our new sponsor, South Park. Speaking of mentally amazing and TV shows, um, while this may not seem tech-based, bear with me. A new Star Trek series has been announced for 2017. I got Yes, I am talking about a TV series. I've got one question. Is it, like, old timeline-based or new timeline-based? It is, uh, it is, uh, yet to be confirmed (laughs) timeline-based. They want to see, they want to see what the uh, uproar from the crowd is. Exactly. So this was, uh, just announced, uh, within the past couple of days. And uh, it's been cur- confirmed by CBS that in 2017, they will be starting a new, brand new Star Trek uh, TV series uh, franchise. Uh, this will be the first time that a TV franchise or TV series has been uh, in production under the Star Trek banner since 2005's um, collapse or finishing or... It's, it's, whatever it's you, amazing demise it's of amazing, enterprise classy class act sign off yeah from enterprise it was so good they decided we can't top this why try yeah that must be it <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um but the interesting part about this and what brings this to my attention for this podcast is the fact that no this will not be on tv what so you say where will it be you say Netflix, I say nay. It will be on CBS. Hopefully it will be on some free accessible service for us, right? Oh, of course, of course. And hey. it's called CBS All Access, and it's completely free with only a admin fee of five ninety nine a month. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it's free aside from the five ninety nine a month. Oh man. But basically like- you pay five ninety nine a month for the CBS version of netflix where you can get all of their cookie cutter cop so, shows that are their, all exactly so the same can i get all episodes of law and order in csi uh i don't know about all but there is a lot of uh csi ncis uh cold case you know there's probably some prices right on there well if uh, it's cbs uh, hopefully i can see all nine seasons of two and a half men well, for you for five ninety nine a month, you better be able to, especially since you know you have to sign up for this and 
anything else. Like even if you get CBS on your TV, this will not be broadcast on TV in any form, shape thereof. Well, that's a great, way, that's a great way to marginalize your audience. Exactly. And they're, they're really, ah, our, our, our people are all nerds. They're, uh, they'll only be on their computers that nobody watches TV anymore. Well, yeah, with that attitude, they won't. Well, exactly. And I understand what they're, they're kind of going for here is they're, they're trying to stay ahead of the curve. They're trying to play the, the long haul game, right? So what they're trying to do is they're thinking that pe- more and more people are cutting the cord. So why not beat them to the punch and give them a reason to stay loyal to CBS? And watch this amazing, theoretically amazing new Star Trek series, but only on our service, not on Netflix. Because that's, you know, what the smart man would have done is just put it out on Netflix and get a chunk from them. But no, they had to go and put it on their own all-access network, which only has just north of how many users do you think? Well, if they're gonna if they're gonna sacrifice a television audience of of about twenty million people, I would have to say that the online user base should at least be that if they're gonna alienate them. Now please tell me how right I am. You are so wrong. One hundred thousand users. They sacrificed twenty million for a hundred thousand? So again, is there some uh, cur- is there some currency rate? What they're hoping for is over the next few years, they are currently still negotiating with the NFL for being able to broadcast live football games on all access, in addition to any new you know CSI or NCIS series that uh, will be coming on there, uh, as well as the fact that CBS has been the Nielsen ratings leader. Uh, for many years in many different demographics with uh, different t- styles of TV shows and, and whatnot. They're hoping that uh, a lot of their t- current uh, loyal TV watchers will transfer over to this service uh, when cutting the cord or in conjunction with their cable box. I think this is retarded, especially with a, a new Star Trek show. Please, if you're going to test out your stupid, dumb theories about your stupid, dumb service that shouldn't <laughs> exist. Don't bring my Star Trek into this. At least, and at I'll, least, I'm, like, give it, like, make it like a month preview, like, so that the uh, the tech savvy people can get, like, you know, give them, give us an incentive rather than a demand. Yeah, and I, you know what, and I, I really regret uh, not bringing Chris Lockhart on with us for for tonight. Um, just because I, I feel like he would have had something to say about this here, that's for sure. So we may have to uh, get a, get a quote hit from from Twitter from him or something like that because well, this is just amazing. We'll have him on the. We'll have him here to, once he's calmed down and he's back to being verbal again after <laughs> uh, after recovering from the rage coma. This will put him in. We can uh, get his thoughts in episode five. I. I, I don't know. I think this is stupid. And, and and like you said, you're risking a ginormous TV audience. And it's only thanks to J.J. Abrams and the new movies that are basically rehashing the original story just with a little more 2015 and lens flares. 2010s flares. Yeah, I was just going to say flare, but yes, <laughs> lens flares. Um, it's only because of him and the new movies that this is even possible. So why risk it? Star Trek is such a it, – it, it's up on a pedestal. 
I'm you just, know, you I, can't you can't be messing with Star Trek. You are going to crucify yourself. If this do. does not work out perfectly for CBS, they could see like a revolt on their hands. Death of a franchise. It would be devastating. And if this doesn't work out because of them being so stupid as to put it on all access instead of their television instead of their television stations and people don't watch it or boycott it because of the fact that it's only on there hoping that it'll get on TV. They could scrap it and thus say, you know what, we're done for another 10 years because it's been 10 years without a Star Trek TV series. Oh, I, I don't know about Wars. you. I, I miss, miss the, my goddamn Star Trek on TV. Teams. I miss the appearances by John Delancey. The, I mean, the, the uncalled for deaths and, of the red shirts. The Borg. I mean, I want to see Borg getting... Yeah. I want to see Borg try to tell us how futile assimilation is and how we prove them wrong. It, I mean, any, I, anything at that's this why point. I nope. hope that this isn't... I mean, I hope this isn't like some J.J. Abrams rebooted thing, because chances are we won't be seeing the Borg. Now, I would like to see, like, a continuation of the old uh, series, like, you know, like after, uh, like, Janeway and her crew get back and DS9 stop the uh, the Dominion. I'd like to see, like, oh, yeah. more... Oh, that was great. Uh, wouldn't it be great to see the Dominion fighting the Borg, now that they've, like, oh, established some sort of peace? The, that Dominion the war, ultimate I adaptation. Swear. The ultimate the, in adaption. Assimilation versus... The final versus... three series, the final three episodes or, or five episode arc, I think it was, of <sighs> Deep Space Nine, The Dominion War, parts one, two, three, four, and five, or whatever it was. Absolute favorite, like, quote-unquote, part series with multiple oh. parts of any TV show ever. It was the most amazing thing, seeing all those battleships and and the story, the culmination of the past couple of seasons. Like, that is Star Trek television. They need to be re- replicating that. It was so amazing, so right. much fun. And if they can't do that, like, I'm uh, hoping... Did you hear about the, uh, the Warf TV series? I heard that there was talk of it, and then that's all... So they was. were going to make him a captain... Uh, he was lobbying for it, actually, I believe, and they were going to make him <laughs> yeah, his own Michael captain. Dorn needs work. Well, it's it's Michael Dorn, of course. I think a war show would have been great. I mean, we've seen like we haven't seen a captain that like gets up and kicks ass in person since Captain Kirk, and that was more that goofy slap fighting. No, Captain Captain Quantum Leap did it. Oh yeah, Scott Bakula. But again, I'm yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, shows people did. watched. So. Oh. <laughs> I, I I think that it would yeah like, I mean like no a war the, show that would have been great. There's so many good opportunities seek out new in the lives, Star Trek universe, new civilizations, and kick their ass. But the problem now too is though is these characters have been out for so long. If you're looking at bringing back, you know the the next generation, it. Because the next generation shows have been off air for so long, you're you're gonna bring them back. Um, a lot of those actors have probably moved on. Like, who's to say Patrick Stewart wants to come back, even for a cameo? He looks. He still looks like he did in season one. That's true. I mean, pretty pretty that, close. That, that, that's the benefit of looking seventy when you're forty. Is that when you're seventy, you look forty? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I just, I really hope that they get this right because it's it's Star Trek and it's near and dear to my heart. I remember watching Star Trek as a child. My dad would go to the local library here in Ottawa and he would get the Star Trek uh, 
TV TV uh, seasons on Laserdisc, and he would copy them to like record them onto VHS so that we could actually watch them at all times. And I remember sitting there and watching them and having to help him record the episodes and he'd go off and have a couple of drinks with his buddies and tell me, okay, make sure you press pause when it gets to the end of side one of the disc and flip it over and then keep <laughs> recording for me, you know, and and that's kind of where my love of Star Trek started. And it was such a, such an amazing thing to see as a child. And I just, they can't screw it up. Please don't screw it up, CBS. Please uh, don't make it like a JJ timeline thing. Like, no, yeah, like it needs carry to on, carry really on this step, carry on the forty years of history you already have. Yeah, let the timeline be in the movie. I I agree to keep it separate, and it just doesn't make sense for them. I think at this point to go back in time with like all the technology that we've seen that's going that happens in the future of Star Trek. Why go back again into the past of it? You know what I mean? The only, like, and they even did the whole, like, the original in, what was it? Was it Enterprise or was it um, uh, TNG that did um, when the first warp drive was uh, was made and it was the guy from Babe? Yeah, Zephyr Cochran. Yeah, Zephyr Cochran. Yeah, well, he was in the the Star Trek Next Generation movie and then in the first episode of Enterprise. Because at this point... They're either gonna, they've pretty much got three choices. They can either stay, go into the, you know, pre-Enterprise <clears throat> era back to Zephyr and Cochran. Oh yeah, like the eugen, like they talked about the eugenics war. Uh, like something with, like with that. The that. Go the J.J. Abrams. Prequel. Go, they could go the J.J. Abrams route or the, the original Star Trek timeline of, of the, those years, quote unquote, that, those years of the Federation or jump to, you know, the newer generation with Deep Space Nine and Voyage and try to continue that because if they, I think even if they were to try and, you know, push further into the future in the, in the Star Trek universe, quote unquote, the actual universe that everything exists in, say, go another, go another hundred years into the future, like they did with TNG and TOS, so they jumped a couple hundred years. I think if they went too far into the future, that people wouldn't, it wouldn't feel... It would be too detached. Exactly. What makes it work and, is that all the series are connected to the previous ones. Like Enterprise, they'll talk about uh, – like they had uh, uh, Bones in the first episode and they had uh, – they made references to uh, the previous uh, Star you mean Trek. The TNG? Yeah, on TNG. Yeah. They made some references to the original Star Trek like with the with that virus that made everybody drunk. Like mm-hmm. that was a nice callback episode to see like Picard about to get his freak on. With well, and look at Deep Space Nine with uh, Trouble the, with Tribbles. Yep, going back and meeting Captain Kirk and yeah, that was an amazing episode. And like, <laughs> I think that they would the best. The best that's line the best was like when, when they're looking at all the Klingons, like, "Hey, Worf, what's the deal with those Klingons? Why do they look like you?" We don't like to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> just the, really... the best. The best use of a wizard did it was we don't like to talk about it. Yeah, forget the explanation, forget the midichlorian reasoning yeah. behind everything. It's just it. we don't talk about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I think though that that is kind of their best bet is to continue on sometime after Voyage, the end of Voyager, the end of um, Deep Space Nine, because that way. They can call back on any and all of these actors or characters from any or, or aliens or ships or anything from any of the previous series. And they've automatically got a base 
audience. Yeah, they could have the uh, because uh, if you bring talk about Janeway, like coming yeah. back, like we talk about, like, no, not even just talk about them. If you bring them back, yeah, like we could have that the first episode, even if it's for one cameo. Be, like them all coming, these people like, will be watching. exploring the Gamma Quadrant or wherever uh, oh. was it the Gamma or Delta Quadrant that uh, um, they were lost in Delta? Because the, I think the it? Gamma Quadrant was the Dominion. Oh God! Where's Chris when we need him? <laughs> so it was the Gamma, the Delta, like the Omega. Land, it was, all I know is that it wasn't the Lambda Quadrant. <laughs> Alpha, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, like we could deal Lambda, with the Lambda, repercussions. Lambda. <laughs> <laughs> we could deal with the repercussions of them, like uh, gaining all the technology from the uh, from the Voyager crew, and like exploring the places where. Like they went and like uh, communicating with the what the hell was that race that the they got into trouble with in the first uh, few seasons? Uh, a Voyager. Yeah, they were the ones that uh, took over the Enterprise, uh, oh. uh, exiled the crew, and then that one psychopath was stuck on the ship, and he's like, "You're locked in here with me," and he just like single handedly returned the ship back, and he's like, "You left me behind." And they had like gold, like it almost looked like a mane around their head or something. Those guys, the, the aliens. Like. You're not talking about. Uh, yeah, the they people. were the warrior race. They tried to clone uh, some of the. Uh, oh, the one that Chicotes, like yeah. all the people that Chicote, and then they had to get together, and that's why Chicote and some of the other people were on Voyagers because they were they killed each other off, so they had to team up. Oh, his that, people? No, that was uh, the Resistance for uh, the Bajorans, but they wiped them out in DS9. Uh, I was talking about like the alien race in that tried to uh, take over the Voyager crew like they cloned Chakotay's son with one of their uh, women to make it his boy or whatever well, I say we suck I say we take an, a quick internet break <laughs> now I'll just say we uh, we'll save that for the uh, Trek I believe there's a Trek podcast that covers that <laughs> but uh, I, yeah I would like to see them talk about like the return of the Voyager crew and uh, you know using like to explore the get the uh, delta gamma phi beta lambda quadrants <laughs> like you know like fighting the borg or introducing them to the dominion like seeing if there's a uh, a uh, like to see the borg try to assimilate the uh, the puddles of goo and like to see if it works or if it doesn't like, there's, it would there's so great, many things it would be great to see continued conflicts with the borg cuz you know as as long as they exist, the universe is in danger, and I would just like to see, like, like you could do, like, a time travel episode to see how the Borg get created. Like, and this alien race that tries to, uh, I don't know, say, help their war amputees by creating cybernetic organisms that will <laughs> allow them to feel in touch. And the planet was called Earth. <laughs> There's there's so much that they could do basically at this point, but the, the the whole problem is the fact that they plan on putting it out on this all access over the internet. So it doesn't matter Bull how awesome crap. it is because no one's going to see it. Yeah, well, there well, is. They, they are in it. talks with Apple right now. They are in talks with Apple to um, be on their new internet TV uh, program <laughs> oh software, whatever. As long um, as people pay unreasonable, as long as people pay unreasonably for it, they'll find a way to get it to you. Well, it but, just seems like if you're not going to put it on TV, they're not putting it on TV, but they are put, but they're going to go and put it on an Apple TV or a all, Roku box or something. We so, all know how Netflix just blew it with Daredevil. I mean, oh yeah, complete. missed opportunities. 
I mean, that's why there won't be a second season because no, they just like cards, they made it so inaccessible. Orange is the new black. I know. I mean, look at all these shows that people can get anywhere on all devices. Who the hell wants that? But that's because it's Netflix, though. What I'm saying is they should have teamed up with Netflix. I know. They're Star Trek on same. Netflix. How friggin' dope would that be? Exactly. God dang it. Anyway. Again, they must have right. seen all this success and like had their opposite goggles on. And they're just like, man, like only 25 million people know about Daredevil. This is like only... 20 million people know about Orange is the New Black. I mean, this is, this is just horrible. We're, we're in a state of decline. There used to be a time when 30 people, 30 million people watched, like, 125 million people watched MASH. Like, we're on, we're in decline. We're tailspinning. We got, we got to change some shit. So let's put it on our, on our site that nobody watches. Yeah. With a hundred thousand people. That'll, that'll keep this, this multi-million dollar franchise going. Yeah. Anyway, uh, do you have anything else for us? Uh, just one last thing. Uh, talking about like attaching limbs, the the last thing I have is people in San Francisco are grafting fruit tree branches on city trees to go f- to grow free apples for anybody. Like if, if you're homeless and you're in San Francisco, well, you get an apple tree. You got apples. Like people have just been splicing fruit tree branches onto these uh, apple, plum, and pear trees, and they've just been splicing them onto regular city trees, and they grow. And there's now 10,000 public fruit trees in San Francisco, which could feed many of the city's poor and homeless. Although, interestingly enough, the alterations of the public trees are technically illegal, and the California city will have to deal with possible rotting fruit. But in any case, the group's founders want their civil disobedience to bear its own fruit. Through added attention given to food deserts, food deserts, and hunger in the city. So, you know, I just thought it's kind of cool that they just saw all these trees and thought, wouldn't it be great if this was feeding people who couldn't afford to buy food? Well, so they, these trees, they're just putting them out on the streets? Well, these are trees that are already out on the streets. You know how you'll see trees and like... Uh, I feel corn, like we're talking corners. about the homeless people already. These <laughs> trees are already out on the street. They they have nothing. They have yeah. no water. We might as well experiment on them, cut them open, attach things to them, because, you know, they only exist for our benefit. Exactly. What, exactly. what else would they exist for? Yeah. So <laughs> We're so, still talking about the trees, right? Please, so for the love of God, we're talking about the trees. They're putting... Uh, they're putting these these trees out there, or these trees are already out there, and they're and so they just attach uh, uh, cuttings from uh, fruit trees. They tape them up to the uh, branches and stems, and then they just grow as fruit bearing things. So they're attaching a branch from a fruit bearing tree to a non fruit bearing tree, yeah. and mutating this new tree into... It doesn't change the tree on the genetic level. It just... Sap, apparently, is just, like, basic fuel. So it's not like blood that requires certain types or it risks rejecting. In this case, trees don't seem to reject. So they're splicing two trees together to make one... Yeah, they're just splicing a branch onto this, and then the branch that has the seed uh, generators... For fruit. For fruit. Just grows it while the rest of the tree grows leaves and pine cones or whatever. That's amazing. 
So yeah. they don't have to go through the process of replanting any trees yet. No. All the trees that are there with a small amount of um, upkeeping and, and you know, cutting and splicing and, yeah. and having somebody go out there and actually put this on there. I think it's like a five-minute job. You on. just cut, attach, tape, and yeah. then... Support, and you're yeah. good to go. And then automatically now you've got all of these people who are able to be fed from this. Now the only problem is... How many people do you have in the city versus how many trees and how much fruit is being grown on this? But any little bit helps. It's a start. And like while you're working on stopping the homeless problem, you can at least treat some of the symptoms. Oh, for sure. And, and not only that, but I'd love to walk out of my house in the morning and grab an apple off the tree before I go to work. Yeah. There's an a, orange there's a or a lime. Right or a, outside, a couple of trees right outside my house. Yeah. Dragon fruit, you know, anything. Papaya. Be, that'd be great, you know. Yeah. Grab, grab, grab some raisins off my tree, you know. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll some, some buffalo a, fingers. Little some asshole at the popcorn bus stop. chicken. Get some first. I, we just need some geneticists to get to this, so that you know it's not just growing fruit; it'll just grow chicken breasts off the tree <laughs> or something. Grow chicken wings. And- yeah, you know, I'll just grow my KFC tree here. <laughs> Would be perfect. <laughs> Got my KFC tree, five dollar fill up on my tree. Come on, guys, three bucks. Two dollar off discount. <laughs> can I get my oh. can I get can I get the popcorn chicken bush? Yeah, <laughs> that would be so amazing. I'm sure we will get there. Actually, if they're if they could do something like this now, give them another ten years, right? <laughs> as long as they don't break their cell phones in half with all their work on it that, by sitting on it while sitting down to watch uh, Star Trek on their computer. Uh, with their new prosthetic limbs that they just got after uh, breathing in all this fresh air that we have and, and putting um, on their new jewelry. Yeah, their, their new smog jewelry. <laughs> yeah, and we've wrapped it up in a nice, neat, tidy package yeah, now. Which brings a nice end to episode four of <laughs> Technobabble on the Geek Fallout Network. I'm your host, Mike King. You can find me at Mike King on Facebook. You can also check out my other podcast, Playing With Power Podcast. You can uh, find it on Facebook. You can find it on iTunes. You can uh, even Twitter the show at GetThePower88. That's the Twitter for the Playing With Power Podcast. And, uh, well, I guess my Twitter's irrelevant because I'd rather be known for the show than me. But, uh, so, Rich, do you have anything to promote? Where can we find you? Uh, I guess you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Reesh, uh, 613. And, uh, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all I do aside from host here once, uh, once a week, once every two weeks on the Geek Follow Techno Babble page, uh, or Techno Babble podcast, <laughs> I should say, part of the Atomic Geeks podcasting network where you can find other amazing podcasts such as the Atomic Geeks, Nerd Lunch, Geek Fallout, the Geek Fallout comic book episodes, Film Jerks, and so many more. Check us out on iTunes, on Stitcher, uh, leave us a review, a rating. Check us out on Facebook at any of our pages, the Nerd Lunch podcast uh, Facebook page, the Geek Fallout Facebook page, or the Atomic Geeks uh, Facebook page. Check us out, leave us a comment, and um, we'll see you next week. Drop it. Drop it.